Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily, what is it? Bread. Let's stop there and uh, talk to God about that. Pray with me, please. Father God, as we uh, think about that idea of give us this day our daily bread, our minds immediately turn uh, to men and women who are not certain that they'll have daily bread today or tomorrow or the next day, and in some sense are going through very difficult times. And I think, Lord, because it's on the news of the people in Nepal, uh, over 2,000 people, Lord, died. Aftershocks still continuing in, the, in that, that uh, nation and uh, the death toll going up even in neighboring nations, Lord. So we pray for the people of Nepal and of other people, for other people in, in desperate times and circumstances who don't know where the bread's gonna come from tomorrow. We ask our God that you would supply for them and that you would do that through people like us who have so much. We might reach out in any way we possibly can, Lord, to men and women around us who are going through the difficulties of life. We thank you that you supply. You do it in manifold ways, but you supply. We give you thanks for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Give us today our daily bread. You have been given some pretty serious attention to the subject of prayer, and I thank God for that, and I'm so glad. That's why I love, I love Renaissance Church and why I'm a cheerleader outside of Renaissance Church, because I love the church. You've had a series of messages in which Clay has been presenting the truth of the Lord's Prayer as what we call it, Disciples' Prayer, you might want to call it. It doesn't matter. It's given by the Lord to us so that we can pray it. You've been having special times of prayer. You, uh, last night, some of you were probably here for the seminar on uh, on how to pray, uh, you've been pretty serious about the subject, and now we've come to this uh, peace in the prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Confession. I'm trying to learn how to pray that. I'm still learning how to pray that. Oh, I've said it lots of times. You know, I, I know how to say it. I learned how to say it a long time ago. It was a favorite in my Sunday school as a child. Uh, usually sometime during the service on Sunday mornings, the uh, pastor would have us join him in the Lord's Prayer, and so I'd say it then. I, I, I could say it very easily. I don't know if I said it as well as my Catholic friends who practice it so many times. If you're from a Catholic background, no disrespect, but you said it a lot of times at confession or after confession, didn't you? Yeah. They, they said it. I said it. We all knew it. We knew it cold, but I'm not sure how often I've prayed it. Now, obviously, I, I draw a line between pray it and say it. I, I think say it is what I did as a kid and what I frequently do today, either that prayer or some other prayer. But when I talk about pray it, I'm talking about something different. I'm talking about something with, with severe intentionality, with a sincerity that is more than simply repeating the words one time or many times. It is the kind of thing that, that in all honesty, when it comes to this subject, I feel like Though I have all the bread I need today, it is possible that tomorrow I might not have all the bread that I need. And so I'm really crying out to God with a sense of intention that I need this, Lord. So would you please, would you please supply that for me? And so when I come to this portion of the prayer, I wonder what it has to do with me. Really, I mean, I got all the bread I need. I got more bread than I need, you know? Whatever kind of bread it is, I, I shouldn't be eating more bread. I, 
I got jam for my bread. I got grape and strawberry and, and orange. I've got all kinds of bread. I've got all kinds of, kinds of stuff to put on my bread. Why do I need more bread? Do, do I really need more bread? No. I, I have all the bread I can eat now. And I honestly, in the depths of my heart, in all honesty and sincerity, I don't think I'm going to be missing bread tomorrow. So, so why, why would I pray? Give us today our daily bread when I feel like I've got all the bread that I need. But on the other hand, I'll bet that if, if Jesus says, pray for bread, the disciples prayed for bread. Yeah? And if the disciples in the first century prayed for bread because Jesus said, pray for bread, then I better learn how to pray for bread. And that's where I am. I need to learn how to pray for bread. But in all honesty, if it doesn't come naturally to me, and if my circumstances don't warrant my praying for bread, then I need something to move me in that direction. And I end up asking the question, and this is what I did as I was preparing for this morning's message. <laughs> you know, what will help me get there? What will help me pray for bread? What will motivate me? What will move me to pray for bread? Or whatever bread means, and we'll get to that in just a minute. What will make me pray for bread? I got to thinking about it, and I realized that fear might help me. Fear, if, if, I, if I were to get a real sense of the, of the commotion, of the disasters, of the, of the problems that, that, that could happen tonight, then maybe I'd be praying for bread tomorrow. And I'll tell you what, there's lots of stuff out there that could make me pray that way. You watch the news, you, uh, you read the paper or you read the magazines, and you don't have to go far before you realize that the the homegrown jihadists are right outside the door and maybe inside the door. I have no idea. In fact, do you remember what happened two years ago? Yeah. It happened in, in Boston. And in fact, right now, someone's going to get either life in prison or death because of what happened at the marathon in Boston two years ago? I didn't see that coming. I, I read too much sometimes because... When I read, especially when, if I go on Yahoo, it's a real downer to go on Yahoo. There's all kinds of publicity or celebrity stuff on Yahoo, but then, then you begin to scroll down there and the things, the items that they pick up from different sources, and, and you, you end up looking, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You end up looking at this thing and, and, and the fact that our whole infrastructure as a nation could go poof if the wrong people get on it. That could keep me awake and make me pray for bread. In fact, I'm, I'm told that, that uh, the economic default that could take place in many nations around the world could change uh, my life in dramatic ways and make what we call the Great Depression rather minor compared to what could happen. In fact, this was, this was too much. Uh, Easter Sunday, I've had a busy weekend, services, preaching, all those kinds of things. I want to sit down on, on Sunday evening and and relax. So we sit down, my wife Ilona and I sit down and we watch the movies, or we watch the TV and, and we get to Madam Secretary. I don't know if you watch Madam Secretary, great show, I love it. On Sunday evenings at 8 o'clock and we're watching Madam Secretary and what's she dealing with this week? Well, she's dealing with the default of the Greek economy. And I'm thinking, I don't need to watch this thing because they're saying the dominoes will fall and they're going to go all the way down to my house. Now, I know not everybody agrees that that'll happen, but that doesn't matter to me if I'm going to worry I'm going to worry because I don't have much knowledge of those kinds of things, and it could happen here. You say, well, that's kind of remote, and it is. 
kind of remote when I think about those big issues that are facing us outside uh, where we live, and I, I realize that we've had those things come and go before, and somebody always tries to figure out and seems to figure out how to solve the problem and, and keep us from going over the cliff, and so they don't really register with me. But I can think of other scenarios that do register with me that make me cry out to God for his provision. I can think of scenarios involving my kids. We've got two kids and my grandkids, and if I have to give up my kids, that's one thing, but I don't want to give up my grandkids. And all I have to think about is, is I can think about cancer, and I can think about uh, my son-in-law losing his job, and I can think about them losing their house, and I, and, and I can think about who knows what, and I can stay awake all night, and I can begin to pray real seriously about God's provision. And I'll bet you can too. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm expanding the idea of bread here. I'm not confining bread to, to whatever it is you eat with your meal or don't eat with your meal and have stayed away from for a time. I, I think that's a legitimate use in reading of the Scriptures to, to not limit it to just bread. In fact, bread was the staple of society in the first century. It was on everybody's table. They made the flat bread on top of a hard surface, you know, and they heated it from underneath. And, and for us, it might have been more like pita bread than it is the kind of bread that you and I, I eat. But, but regardless of what it looked like or what it tasted like, that's what they had every meal. It's just like rice in the Asian countries, or it's like uh, uh, pasta in, uh, in Italy or, or someplace else. But to, to limit the prayer in, in Jesus' statement here to just bread is far too limiting because bread is not really my daily necessity and it probably isn't your daily necessity. So if you'll let me, I'm going to expand it just a little bit and change it to give us today what we really need, okay? What we really need. Now, however you define that, however you define what we really need or what I really need if I think that's going away, I might be moved to pray for God's provision in terms of my daily need. Fear, powerful motivator to pray for my daily bread. But is that how Jesus wants me to live? Honest, I mean, is that how Jesus wants you to live? You belong to him, I belong to him, I've given my heart to him, does he really does he really want me to live in fear? Does he, does he really want me to live like some people around the world live? And I've, I've seen people who live in fear, and they're both far away and they're nearby. I've seen people in West Africa. The first time I went there, I couldn't believe what was going on. In this small village, we just finished a service in this very small building that was, was their church. And we came out of the church and we, we got into the open courtyard where the trees are and people stand around under the, under the shade and to, to escape the hot sun. But over on, the, over on the side in this courtyard, there were a group of men and they were surrounding what I turned out to be a, a, a raging fire. And as I pulled closer to them, I could see that there was a man with a, white, a long robe on in the middle, and he was throwing things into the fire. And, and I began to look at him, I wonder, what on earth is he throwing into the fire? And I, I asked people who were there, and, and they said, well, those are his fetishes. He became a Christian, and as a result, he's throwing away his fetishes. Now, we'd call fetishes good luck charms, but this is in an animistic society. And in an animistic society, you feel like, and you believe that there are, there are spirits in everything. There's a spirit in that chair, and there's a spirit in, in this iPad, and there's a spirit 
in, in, this, in this right here. And so you take something and you carry it with you. And you may, have, you may have dozens of these things. You carry them with you. They're fetishes to ward off the spirits doing any harm to you. And you live in fear. And in fact, this man was so steeped in it. He probably was 40 years old. As I remember, he was so steeped in his fear that, that even coming to Christ, it took some time for him to get rid of the fear. And so when he threw the things into the, into the fire, the fetishes, he was going like this. He was throwing them like that towards the fire because he couldn't dare to look at their destruction. He was so frightened by that. And I thought, isn't that primitive? And then I remembered... <laughs> And then I remembered how many people in my world are connected to conspiracy theories that make them live in fear. And I know what that's like. I mean, I was there. I came home from the service as a new Christian. <laughs> I thought everything from my past was evil. Not quite, but pretty close. And I bought into the conspiracy theory that uh, was being purported by the John Birch Society at the time. Those of you old enough may remember this. We thought there was this group of people down through the centuries who were somehow connected with each other. I don't know, maybe they had computers, and I didn't know about computers at the time, but they were connected, and they were going to bring disaster upon the world as I knew it. And I bought right into that, and I joined the John Birch Society and promoted that idea. But I know what that's like to live in fear, because there wasn't a whole lot we could do about it. We could fight it. We didn't have much hope of winning it. Now, <laughs> you know, the sad thing is, that one of those theories might be right. I'm not saying that none of them have truth to them. I'm just saying, I don't know that I want to live that way. And I don't know that you want to live that way. And I don't really believe that Jesus wants me to live that way. Believe that things are going to happen, that's fine. Go, go ahead, that's fine. But live in fear? Uh, no, no. In fact, every time I look at the Jesus of the New Testament, I find that he's saying, don't be afraid. Now, there's dozens of times. If you look at your Bible, there's dozens of times when he says something like, do not be afraid or fear not. Let me give, give you uh, just a couple of examples of what I'm thinking about. Matthew 10, 28, and do not be afraid. Uh, be not afraid of them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So there is a proper place for fear, and that's a fear of God a reverence and awe of God, but, but not of the things that can happen to me around my world. Live in fear? No. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Another one that, that I pulled out, Matthew 14, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Do not be afraid. Does he want me to live in fear? No. No. He doesn't. Immediately, Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Another time, uh, Jesus is out uh, uh, by the lake, and, and he's got two, three of his disciples with him, James, Peter, and John, and they're there, and uh, Moses and Elijah from the Older Testament, ancient times, show up with Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I can relate completely to the reaction of those guys. And Matthew puts it for us, 17, 6, and 7, the disciples fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be what? Afraid. Don't be afraid. All the way to the empty tomb where the women come to take care of his body, 
and the body is no longer there. And in some sense, they almost stumble upon the resurrected Christ. And what's he say to them? He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. So does Jesus want me to live in fear? Oh, oh no. Does fear work? Oh, yeah. Fear can help. If I'm afraid, then, then I'll cry out to God for help. But it doesn't, it doesn't last. You know what I mean? You just get tired of it. You get beaten up by fear. You get imprisoned by fear. Some of you may be living in a prison called fear today. It doesn't have to be animism, and it doesn't have to be conspiracy theories. But you may be living in a prison that has you captive and bound by fear. It's time to be set free, friend, by Jesus, the one who said, don't be afraid. So, so I got to thinking about it, and I got to thinking that fear works in some sense. But fear doesn't work in a long-term sense, and it doesn't build us up, it tears us down. So if fear is not the answer, then based on what Jesus says in this passage, what is the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer to my my natural tendency (laughs) to not say, give us, no, I do say it. Let me rephrase it. My natural tendency to not pray, give us today our daily bread. And I would submit to you that the answer to that question is Father. Father is the answer. Abba is the answer. Coming to know a God who is not just a God out there someplace distant and strong and powerful and mighty, a creator God and sovereign God, but coming to know someone whom I call Abba. Abba. I know Clay has has done a great job talking about this, so I don't want to I don't want to extend it too long, but I need to spend a little bit of time building on what he said. So hang in there with me if you can. This is a request brought to Abba. Let me build on what he said. Highly unusual for people in the first century to call God Abba. They just didn't do it. I mean, they were afraid of Abba. He was the lawgiver. He was the, he was the just God. He was the one who, who brought retribution on people who walked away from him and, and, and raised their fist in his, in his face towards heaven. He, he brought the fires down. He brought the he brought the judgment down upon them. So, so we would call him Abba? Probably not. Probably not. Any more than if President Obama was here, I'd say, hey, Barack, buddy, you know. No, I wouldn't do that. Or the Queen of England comes in, and I'd say, hi, Lizzie, how are you? No. Well, likewise, in the first century, they would never go and call God Abba. He was the God of justice and lightning and thunder. But this entire teaching in chapter 6 is about Abba, and even in chapter 5, but but in chapter 6 in particular, if you go back to the first part of chapter 6 and you begin to trace in your mind chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, the chapter, as it begins, is about us getting off the center of the stage and getting off to the side so that Father can have the place of reverence. Okay? And because we want him to have the place and because he is number one, we end up crying out to him, oh, hallowed be your name. Not my name. My name is forgotten. That's okay. Hallowed, oh, oh God, hallowed be your name. Whose kingdom come? My kingdom? No, his kingdom come. Yeah. 
Whose will be done? His will be done. It's all about getting him in the center of the stage, in the spotlight, so he can be seen. That's what it's about, because he's my Abba. He's my Abba. Elena was asking me on the way home last night after the message, she said, yeah, but what, what about the Abba and the, and the hallowed be your name? Well, sure, if you, if you understand hallowed as being respect and reverence, that's the same kind of thing that I had for my dad, who was a good dad. She had a good dad. So she had, she had him as Abba, but she also had him as respected. So they're not contradictory. This is not two gods. This is the same God. And throughout, he is Abba. When you get to verses uh, seven and eight, you know that, that uh, he is the father who knows ahead of time what we're going to need. And so, you know, you go to chapter six and later in the prayer and you say, why would I pray about bread if he already knows about what I, what I need? I'll get to that. But he's the father. And he's the one who can satisfy my hunger with the bread that only his hand can, can bring because he knows my need. He, he's Abba. He, he's father. He's father. In fact, I don't want to I don't want to make this, I, I don't want to exaggerate, but let me just say to you that this is the issue. This is the issue to prayer. This is the issue to life. And it begs two questions. It begs one question, and that is, have you ever become Abba's child through faith in Jesus Christ? It didn't happen to me until I was 22 years old in the service in Japan. I had no idea what I was missing out. And the second question, if you can say yes to that that you are Abba's child through faith in Jesus Christ, and you can, you can remember, yeah, I placed my faith in Jesus and I trusted in him. Then the second question is, are you praying like Abba's child? I didn't pray like Abba's child for a long time. Long time before that caught up with me. Then I realized what was my right as a child of the King of Heaven. So, as far as I'm concerned, Abba's child, Makes all the difference. Now, that's the name of a book, by the way. I'd like to leave a book behind if I can. And I'd buy it for you if you want me to buy it for you. It's uh, Brendan Manning's book, Abba's Child. And the beauty of the book is the subtitle, The Cry of the Heart for Intimate Belonging. I tell you, if you want to know more about being Abba's child, this is just a wonderful study and one that you would benefit from, I suspect. Abba. Abba. I say it's important. If it's important then what difference does it make? I mean, what difference does it make if I approach God as Abba? Not as the God who is far away and powerful and mighty and strong. Yes, he is that. But as the God who has come close and is now this intimate, intimate friend and uh, advocate and, and treasure called Father. Well, if I pray to him as Father, one of the things that happens is prayer becomes a conversation because he's my Abba. I, I imagine this picture if you can, this child, uh, I don't know, four years old, five years old, needs to talk to dad, has some things on his heart he needs to say to dad, and, and so he, his mom takes him down. It's, a, it's a, a time when he can go in and break into his dad's life, and so his dad is on the 35th floor in a corner office. A child walks in and dad's busy with all kinds of important people around him. Everybody's dressed up, formal, big furniture. This little kid comes in, this big furniture all around. Dad's sitting behind this great big desk. And so he, he, he asks the people to be silent for a minute. And he puts the child in the big chair across 
the big desk from his dad. His father says, I've got a few minutes. What's on your mind? Well, that child will say what he has to say, but he's not praying. Now, change the scene if you would, please. Take that child home. His dad is now sitting with him at the kitchen table after supper is over and there's nobody else around and there's no clock around and nobody's dressed up and, and nobody's rushing and that child begins to pour out his heart to his Abba. He's praying. There's a world of difference. And he doesn't even need to repeat himself because his daddy's listening. There's no time limit. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Prayer becomes if indeed I am speaking to my father. That's what prayer with Abba becomes. I agree with Clay. In, in one of his messages, he said that these statements, these separate statements of the Lord's Prayer are really headings or um, topics to be discussed with God. They're, they're not to be rushed through, and we say them as many times as we can, as quickly as we can, in the time period that we have. No, that's saying them. If it's praying them, then I stop and I said, oh God, your, your name be hallowed. And I begin to talk to him about that. And if I go on to the next time, next one, and then I, I talk about that, and I come to this one about bread, and I begin to talk in an expanded way about the things that I really think I need, Lord. Maybe I don't, but I really think I do. And, and I need to talk to you about it and get it off my heart and give it to you. That's prayer. And prayer, as a result of knowing that it's Abba who's listening, becomes a conversation. Second thing that happens if I'm, if I'm praying to Abba is I pray with confidence that Abba's going to hear me because that's my father and he knows what I need. That's my daddy and he knows what I need and he's going to take care of what I, what I really need. Now, the reason I say that is because one chapter later in chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Well, he will, of course. <laughs> Why would he hold back? He's my father. He's my Abba. Ilona tells me a story about, she was a little girl, and, and she had a brother and a sister, and they would go to church, Sunday school and church at a church in the area on Sunday mornings. And the reason they were alone was because uh, her mom was a nurse, and so she'd frequently work into the morning hours of uh, Sunday. They couldn't go with them. Her dad was a, uh, 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 a milkman. He delivered milk door to door. And so he wasn't always available to stay with them, but he could get them there. And then he was, he was the one who would pick them up after his, his delivery time was over, and they'd be waiting. Well, this, this snowy morning came, cold. Uh, Ilona, John, and Joanne are standing on the porch of the church waiting for Daddy to come. And everybody, you can imagine what this was like, everybody's saying, why don't you come inside with us? Oh, no, we'll give you a ride home, or, or uh, we'll call your parents, or uh, just stay here, we've got... We've got hot cocoa in here. Come on in, please. And Ilona can remember saying to them, no, no, my daddy said he'd be here. My daddy, my daddy said he'd be here. Now that's the confidence I talk to God with when I'm praying to Abba. My daddy, that, that's, that's my daddy. Yeah, I know he's creator. I, I understand he's sovereign. I know he's all-powerful. 
but he's more than that. He's my daddy, and I can trust him. The conversation, confidence. It's kind of funny when I think about the next one. When I'm praying to my Abba, I pray with caution. And the reason why I pray with caution is because I know my heart. And, and I know how self-centered I am, and I know how much I like attention, and how much I like to have comfort and ease, and I know very well that I will use prayer as an avenue to get what I want more than what I need. I am instructed by the caution in a prayer from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, where he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. My daily bread. Hmm? Yeah. With caution. But finally, let me just say that when I'm talking to my Abba, when I pray to him, I pray about everything. I mean, I mean everything. You go back to the dinner table. It's just supper is over. You're sitting with your child, and, and your child is bringing you the things that are upon his heart, and it's just the two of you. And there's no clock, and there's no dress-up time, and you're just sitting there, and you're listening. Now, now would you... Would you really, would you take the things that are important from the things that are not important and throw away the things that are not important and keep only the things that are important and, and screen them and say, oh, just tell me the things that are important? No, you wouldn't do that. That's what a father might be doing, but that's not what a daddy does. A daddy takes anything that his child wants to bring to him, and, and his child is free to talk about all kinds of things, and some things in, in the world's sight might be trivial, and, and maybe in, in daddy's sight they might be trivial, but that doesn't matter because he's interested in hearing his, his child's heart. That's what he's listening to, not just with his ears. He, he's listening with his, his heart. Everything. Do I really mean everything? Yeah, I really mean everything. If I have enough bread, do I pray for more bread? Yep. Bigger house? Sure. Another car? Yeah. New Harley? Yeah, sure. Uh, a boat? Uh, a corner office? Yeah, yeah. At least that's where I'll begin, okay? That's where I'll begin. I will naturally begin with the things that are closest to my heart. And as I move into this understanding of my Abba who is listening to me, what I will also pray is, Lord, I know that I need to learn to pray for the things that are most important on your heart, okay? And, and what will happen is if I persist in that and I, I, I get out of my self, self-centered kind of world and I begin to pray, oh God, you know, I'd like to have that house, but I know that you may not want me to have that next house, so, so Lord, would you impress upon my heart the things that are most important that, that I need to talk to you about because you're, you're the Lord. You're my Father. You're my Abba. You know what I need, and so I want to know what you want me to have, and you know what happens as time goes on? As I begin to read his heart and his desires become my desires, then I begin to shift my prayers, and yeah, I may pray for a bigger house for a while, 
but I may end up praying, oh, Lord, would you show me how to use the house I've got so that you can be glorified? Now, that's different. Or, or Lord, would you give me a bigger house so I can have more people in to talk about Jesus? Okay, so it's, it's subtle. It's, it's a small shift, but oh, boy, it makes all the difference in the world because you're asking God to lay upon your heart the things that are upon his heart, and then those things become your everything. The most important things become your everything. So do I pray about everything? Yeah, start where you are, and then expand it. But expand it as God works in your heart, and you begin to see what really counts. And the things that really count the most are not about this life, they're about what's going on for the next life, and what happens in this life in, in preparation for the next life. And so you say, oh God, yeah. Maybe I don't need that promotion. Maybe I need to use the time that I have now. Go serving in a soup kitchen. Or, or, or maybe, maybe, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't need to travel on that vacation. I need to give that same money to, 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 to my church. And, and, and maybe instead of praying about the things I'd like to have, I need to pray for my pastors that they wouldn't give in to temptation. And, and maybe I need to pray. Instead of my corporation all the time, I need to pray for my church. So my church might live out its calling and, and God might work through. You know, so it, it just changes. It changes. And what happens is the things that matter most become my everything. Pray for everything? Yeah. God wants to hear my voice, but he also wants to grow me up as I grow in him. So do I pray for everything? Sure. Yeah, I pray for everything. My Abba. I have a verse from the Older Testament. Strangely, this is Newer Testament we're talking about. Now I'm going back to the Older Testament before the time of Jesus, and I'm going to one of the prophets, but somewhere along the line in my, my search for Abba, I, I saw this verse, and I, I found it to be so important for me that I printed it out and put it on the little left-hand side next to the touchpad on my, my uh, laptop, and I, I have it there because I need to be reminded of it on a regular basis. It's from Zephaniah chapter 3, and, and you, can, uh, you can see what it says. Lord, your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you. But we'll rejoice over you with singing. Say that with me, would you? The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you was singing. That's Abba. That's, that's who I pray to. That's my Abba. That's my Father. And as that, that becomes more and more a part of my life, it soaks into my, the sponge of my life, then prayer becomes this conversation. Sometimes I, I don't say anything. Other times I have a, a request or two. Uh, other times I just sit and listen and, and say, God, just impress on my mind and my heart what you need to say so that I can say it back to you because I want to I pray your prayers. As a result, I pray with caution because I know my tendency. But man, man, I pray about everything because he wants to hear that. So he wants to hear what's on your heart right now. Let's take time in silence. The band will come out. They'll lead us in a song and then we'll close in prayer. Take these moments in quietness. And you might want to say, Abba, that's who I want to know. I don't know you yet, but I want to know you. And I now receive Jesus as my Savior. Or you may say, Abba, 
I need to learn more about, about praying. So here's what's on my heart. He wants to hear it right now. Let's be quiet before him.